While we're standing, let us pray. Father God, we want to thank you for the privilege of meeting in your presence again. We pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit during the time of WIC. May you do more than simply arouse our emotions, but may you transform our lives. Lord, we are praying that we will not leave here the same, but that you will give us that Holy Spirit burning in our hearts so that we go back to become a generation of young people that finish the work. Father, please bless us now with your presence. We pray that you be not only with us, but with those who have not yet arrived. We pray for Heidi Hape, who has uh, had a heart attack. We pray that you will be with that family. May you look after them. And Lord, we pray indeed for every person that is planning on being here, that you will give them, whether they, they make it here or not, that you give them an outpouring of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, I must admit, I am glad to finally be here. Uh, we had planned to come on Tuesday evening to uh, Weimar, and uh, we got to the airport and we discovered there was a thunderstorm in Atlanta. And so that ended up delaying our flight. And there were no flights in. Every single flight was fully booked. And we were a family of five. And so it looked impossible. So eventually I got a first class ticket and I said to my wife, I, honey, I may have to go ahead in that first class seat and you may have to stay behind with the three kids. But that wasn't popular. <laughs> and so I, I thought about it, and, uh, I, and we, we got to the airport the next day, and I, I almost went ahead. But, but praise be to God, uh, good common sense kicked in. And I decided to wait, and so we waited for the evening flight last night, 24 hours later. And uh, there were no seats available, and we were watching as there was just zero on the board and no seats and then uh, we got down to the end, and I guess some other people missed their connections. And uh, they said, come, hurry, hurry. And, we, and we, we got ourselves in with five minutes to go. We were all in the plane. And then when we, set, when, we, when we got to sitting down, we discovered that actually they had miscounted. We were one seat. We had one seat less than what they had thought. And so my wife just put a kid on her lap and didn't say anything. And they closed the doors. And then they walked through and they said, hold on, you don't have a seat yet. And she says, believe you me, I'm willing to carry the kid the whole way to be at WIC. Amen? And so we made it. <laughs> Praise be to God. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we pray that you'll be with us. May you take this message and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I've uh, decided to talk about is a little change of topic Instead of ropes of sand, we're going to deal with today, the sand reveals its secrets. The sand reveals its secrets. And I'd like you to turn with me to, uh, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to look at one of the well-known heroes of the Old Testament and just draw some lessons that I believe are helpful for every young person. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 2 and reading from verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, 
he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Verse 12. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Everywhere I go, I find that young people are making choices. Anyone here facing choices in their life? <laughs> and so when you face choices, you have choice of where to, go to, where to go to university. You have a choice of what person to date and eventually marry. You have a choice of what kind of career to go into. You have to choose what kind of courses you're going to take during your time there. You have so many choices. And as you're facing those choices, any of you ever wondered, how am I going to go about making these choices? Ever face that? Well, what we want to do today is take a look at what Moses did and not repeat his example. So we want to look at Moses and say, how can we not do what Moses did? And so as we look at Moses, of course, he made many good choices, but this particular choice was not the best. And what I found is we tend to make choices without considering the consequences. Met a lady, and she told me, you know, when I got married... I always said, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get a divorce. And then we had kids. And she says, now I have paid for that choice my whole entire life. Wow. <laughs> the choices you make today will determine your destiny. They will determine how you are shaped into the image of God. And how you make your choice will ultimately affect how God's will is accomplished in your life. So let's take a look at what happened to Moses. A little bit of background. First, we have to realize that Moses knew his destiny. What was Moses' destiny? How did he know it? We find from the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, that God had told not only Moses... But the elders of Israel, that Moses was to be the deliverer. So imagine growing up and everyone believes that you're going to become the president of the United States. Like your whole family, an angel appears to your father and to the elders in the church and says, Mark will become a president, the president of the United States. And you grow up with that understanding. Uh, people know about it. It wasn't Maybe not everybody knew, but it wasn't an uncommon thing. The people knew that Moses was to be the deliverer. They were watching him growing up in the palace. They were waiting. When is Moses going to be the deliverer? And Moses knows that this is going around because his mother has taught him this. You are being prepared for a purpose. Maybe through you, ultimately, God's purpose of releasing his people will be achieved. And so as he's beginning to think about this, as, that, as God's will has been revealed to him, he begins to think that he knows what must happen. Any of you ever been in that kind of situation? Where time after time, you have, you've been hearing, this is what God wants. This is what God has planned. And then you begin to think that you know how it will happen. Moses knew his destiny. But sometimes when you feel like you know God's will, you also assume that you know God's method and God's timing. And so I want to encourage you as we go through out this weekend to, to really get on your knees and say, God, how do I not just fall into the same trap that Moses did? How can it be that I can know not only your will, but your method and your timing. 
Acts 7 verse 23 helps us to understand what happened with Moses. So let's go to Acts. This is kind of the uh, post description. Exodus tells us what happened at that time. But Acts chapter 7 tells us what was going on in Moses' heart. And so I think it would be really good for us to look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 23. It tells us he was 40 years old. Now, you have to understand, he lived 120, and he was still going strong at 120. So 40 could be translated to young adult. Is that fair enough? <laughs> 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Notice what happened here. It came into whose heart? His heart. This wasn't something that God had planned. This wasn't something that God had told him. No, it came into Moses' heart that he was going to go and visit his brethren. Now, they were everywhere. I mean, they were chopping and sawing and building. You could find Israelites everywhere. It wasn't that he couldn't find them, but now he's paying clandestine visits down to where they live. Now he is, he is looking at what is their situation. Is this a strong enough group that I could build an army out of them? Could I take this group and turn them into people who could resist the Egyptians and join me as a mighty army and liberate themselves and take over Egypt? Do you understand the thinking that's going on in his mind. So it comes into his heart that he's going to go down and visit his people. Notice this was not God's choice. This was not God's way. It wasn't something that God told him. It was something that came into Moses' heart. And notice when he does this, he goes down, verse 23, and it says he was going to visit them and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. I want you to notice what Patriarchs and Prophets says about this. In slaying the Egyptian, Moses had fallen into the same error so often committed by his fathers. What was that error? Of taking into their own hands the work that God had promised to do. It was not God's will to deliver his people by warfare as Moses thought. You understand what he was thinking of doing? He was going to liberate them by warfare. But it was not as Moses thought, but instead it was by God's own mighty power that the glory might be ascribed to him alone. God's will deliver the people of Israel. God's will, Moses be the deliverer. Moses takes those two things together and he begins to form his own method about how it will take place. And that's what I see in young people today. When Moses began his own operation deliverance, he was energized not by the spirit, but by the flesh. And when you begin to move by your own impulses, when you begin to move by your own methodology, by your own strategy, you will find disaster occurs. I see it with young people in careers. They start out following God. They start out with a good motivation. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But pretty soon after a while, they begin to rely on their own talents, their own abilities, their own schooling and training. And they begin to think that it's dependent on them and not on God. Am I carrying something on my foot? Wow, that's really exciting. All right, there we go. It's a prayer request. Never stand on your prayer request, kneel on them. All right. So there he was. He was doing things in his own way, according to the way that he thought was best. And young people today, I'm telling you that unless we do it according to the Spirit, 
And, and, and unless we follow what God has planned, we will reap from the flesh. And too many people I see who've made choices dependent on the flesh are reaping from the flesh. You reap what you sow. Isn't that what Galatians 6 verse 7 says? You reap what you sow. And I found there's a young man who believes that God has not given him the gift of celibacy. And so he waits for miscongeniality and she doesn't come. And he's waiting and waiting. And pretty soon after a while, he thinks, you know, God's a little slow here, so I better start taking things into my own hands. And so he starts doing a Facebook search <laughs> in order to, to check out the talent that exists in the great Adventist swimming pool. And then he, he goes a little further, and he, he, God is taking his time, and so it's just not working. I, I know what this is like because when I was 13, I had this experience. I was a brand new Adventist, and I, I met this girl at church. I was a new Adventist, and, and I was glad to be in church. And at first, I was all about God's will, but I realized God's going to want me to get married because how can I serve in ministry unless I'm married? <laughs> and so the, this one girl caught my attention, and so I remember about a year later, I was 14 years old, I got down on my knees and I, and I prayed, God, I think I found the woman who I'm supposed to marry. <laughs> now, what I need you to do is, is I just need you to confirm this. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to be going with a friend of mine who doesn't attend church. We're going to go out to, to motorcycle racing. That's what my family did. We, we're going to be on the way. And if he brings up her name, I'll know. I was using a pagan person to accomplish God's will. So there we were in the car, and this guy does not get it. He just does not get the plan. So I start talking about church. Nothing. I start talking about the girls at church. Finally, he says, hey, whatever happened to that girl that you were telling me about? I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Can you accomplish God's will your way? No. When you move by the flesh you will often find that instead of God's will being accomplished in your life, you end up with a major mess on your hands. Now, notice some of the ways in which Moses made this mistake. Verse 24, he says, he saw one of them being wronged. Now, if you look at Patriarchs and Prophets, it says that Moses saw this as an opportunity, an open door. What was he thinking in his mind? Here's what was going on. He thinks, if I take care of this, all of the Israelites will see that I'm standing for them instead of for the Egyptians. They will then trust me, and they will see this as their moment of opportunity. They'll throw their weight behind me, and now that I've seen what's happening here, I will grab this open door. This is the time that God has given me to step into this open door and to accomplish this deliverance. Now, I want you to pay special attention to this. Not every open door is a sign of God's providence. Just because something seems to come up that seems like a perfectly good opportunity, it does not mean that God has provided that. Some people say, you know, I, I can't believe it. This and this and this happened all together at the same time. I prayed that uh, if, if we were to get married, that she would come in in a red dress. I've had this. <laughs> and then she did. And it was, it was just the perfect opportunity. I had an opportunity to go and do ministry over in this place. And then it was a disaster. I can't understand. It seemed like the best opportunity in the world. Not every open door is something that God's providence has directed. So some people say, well, how am I going to choose then? You recognize that there are three ways we choose, by the Word, by the Spirit, and by providence. 
And we can't just take providence and put it all out by itself. And you can't remove praying about it carefully, even though it's an open door. And you can't take the word out of the situation because it won't work. So you need to have all three pulling together in order to discern God's will. Amen? So yeah, Moses, he thought it was an opportunity. You can't trust signs. You have to instead see, God, how are you pulling things together here? And, and pray about it. If, Ellen White says if, you are thinking about, uh, if you're thinking about courting a person and you're used to praying twice a day, how many times a day should you pray? Four times a day. We tend to instead operate by open doors instead of by prayer. Now notice what else happened next. He saw one of them being wrong. And so he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Moses here, let's not be too hard on him. He saw an injustice and he felt justified in dealing with that injustice. He felt a sense of justice. He had good, strong, positive feelings going through him. Little endorphins were going off. This is a good thing to do. And so he steps into the situation with a sense of rightness and justice. Now, if, if you want to make a mistake, first of all, you depend on your own reasoning, step through your own open door, and then you depend on your feelings. It just feels so right. So he steps in and it feels good. He is, he is doing God's will and he does it with a sense of justice. But it's wrong. How can something that feels so right be so wrong? You may not know this, but I was engaged twice. Before I met my wife, I was a ministerial associ association president. And I was attending the college there, and there was this petite blonde who walked onto the campus. And uh, I was immediately attracted. And so we started getting to know each other. We dated, and uh, we were the talk of the town. And it, it, everything looked like it was going great. One night, uh, I was out visiting my stepfather, who was very ill with cancer. And she had come in to help out. And after we had taken care of my stepfather, we were sitting down together. And I looked across at her, and I just looked at all of her great characteristics and qualities. And I, I just felt these strong, warm, positive feelings toward her. And I, I decided to go ahead. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and commit my life to this woman. And I, I just blurted out, will you marry me? And she was shocked. You know, she, she kind of looked at me. I mean, I was... I was 20 and she was 21 and, and it seemed okay. And she looked and then she was very excited. I said, but let's not tell anyone yet. We're going to pray about it. Well, the short story is within six months, that perfect arrangement fell apart and we stopped dating. We broke off our engagement. How can something that feels so right be so wrong? How can something that feels like this should just be the way it is not work out? See, Moses stepped in believing, God, you're in this. This is my open door. This is my opportunity. I feel it's right. And then he ended up with a mess, even though he had the open door and the right feelings. Are you listening to me? Yes. We need to be careful. We don't do what Moses did. Notice what happens in verse 25. And it says, He supposed, what's that word? 
he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Here's his third major problem. He makes a bad assumption. And many of us step into a, a situation where we make a choice based on false assumptions. And so you want to make a mistake. Don't check out the facts. Just move ahead. I don't want to listen to the facts. She's the one for me. I believe God has chosen her. It's the open door. You don't understand. There were like three signs that all happened at the same time. And it feels so right. I had a, a family that I was planning on baptizing their kids. But I said... Uh, there's just one problem. I know your kids want to be baptized. This is wonderful. But your son is playing sports on Saturday, and Saturday is the Sabbath. He says, well, it's only once a month. I said, well, you know, I don't feel comfortable baptizing him when he's playing sports on Saturday. It means he hasn't made a commitment to keep all of God's commandments. And he says, you don't understand, Pastor. We were on our way to the sports game, and we were starting to feel a little uneasy. So we parked beside the road. There was a tree there. And we knelt underneath this tree. And we said, God, if you don't mind us going to the sports game, give us a sense of peace. So they, they prayed there. And, and he says, as soon as we finished the prayer, we all felt the same sense of peace. We got up. We got in the car. We went to the sports game. And we've been doing it once a month ever since. There's nothing wrong with it. What was the false assumption? That a sense of peace equals the will of God. Now, I want to let you know that if you are making an assumption, you better check it out. Is that the way God operates? Is that the way it works? Are you willing to listen to other people's advice? Are you willing to, to hear what your parents have to say? Are you willing to hear what, what some of your godly friends and mentors have to say? Or are you going to go ahead irrespective? I don't care. This is my plan. I know that God wants me to be married, and she's the one. Better be careful. So Moses, he supposed, he supposed that they would see that he was the great guy and that, that, that they should follow him. And it says, we, we read earlier in Exodus chapter 2, that he did this. He looked this way and that way. You notice which way he didn't look. He didn't look up. He looked, he looked horizontally, but he didn't look vertically. He looked this way and that way, but he didn't check in with God. And that's where false assumptions tend to come in. When you start dealing with your own reasoning, your own thoughts, I don't need to listen to anyone, that's when you end up in a tragic mistake. And one mistake is like a car that hits black ice. You suddenly, you turn the wrong way and you find yourself careening across the ice and rolling into the ditch. And if you've ever done anything like that, you know one mistake, one bad choice ultimately affects your destiny. I, I love this quotation that I read. Moses dedicated himself to the will of God, but not to the God whose will it was. Whew. He knew what God's will was. He said, God's will is I'm the deliverer and that they're going to be set free. But he didn't dedicate himself to the God whose will it was because he was more dependent on his own understanding. And so it says he went and he hid the Egyptian in the sand. When you act according to the flesh, what I found out, you always have something to cover up. 
You know, you have a little fleshly procedure that you're going to implement and you end up having to bury your motive. You end up having to to manipulate the situation, to conceal a lie or a half-truth so that you could get what you wanted. You have to backtrack on a boast that you made. You have to cover up the corpse of your fleshly procedure and it's just a matter of time before the sand reveals its secrets. Now, I wonder why he couldn't bury an Egyptian right. What did he do? Did he leave his toes sticking out? I mean, I don't know what he did. But let me tell you, when you're doing it your way, the sand will reveal its secrets. Now, God could bury Egyptians. He could bury a whole army and not leave a trace, right? When God's in it, it works. But when Moses was in it, he had a fleshly corpse of his procedure that he had to cover up, and it would reveal itself. And so notice, go back to to Exodus chapter 2. Notice what happens when he makes that critical mistake, Exodus chapter 2. And notice the results of Moses' decision. Exodus 2 verse 13. And when he had gone out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a... Prince and judge over us, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Here is not the well-drilled army that Moses is expecting. So he's getting a little worried. They're fighting each other. This isn't part of the script. You guys are supposed to be joining in under my ranks and saying, hey, oh, Moses, but you're not doing it. What's wrong here? So he tries to break it apart. And they say, back off, smarty pants. Who do you think you are? You're going to take care of me like you took care of the Egyptian the other day? I mean, what are you doing? And so Moses is, is, he's suddenly scared. This thing is known. And so he, his heart starts to beat and he takes off running because he realizes that the Israelites won't follow him and the Egyptians are going to see him as a traitor and a betrayer. He's in deep trouble. And all because he took things into his own hands. Your choices will determine your destiny. I remember one night it became known for me. I was a theology student graduating from my four-year program. And I, I'd been dating a, a girl for a while who probably wasn't the best choice for me. And uh, I had been slowly slipping in my devotional life, but I felt I was doing God's will. What was God's will? That I become a minister. So I was doing God's will, but I wasn't having the devotional life. I wasn't having the time with God. Are, are you listening to me? I wasn't connecting with God the way I should have. And so even though I was doing God's will, I was running on empty inside. And because on the outside everything looked good, the night of graduation, I won the award for spiritual leadership. And so I walked up there, I got the award, came back down, and later that night I was with my girlfriend. I was like, look, I I won this award. Isn't that great? And she said to me, but I know who you really are. I know who you really are. That secret of your life will become known. The way you are will become known. If you want to be transformed into God's image, then you have to make a choice that will change things. Not to live by the appearance, not to live by what I'm doing, what God asked me to do, but to actually change on the inside to following the God whose will it is. Amen? Amen. And so, most of us aren't very clever at cover-ups. 
When Pharaoh heard of it, it says in verse 15, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And it says at the end of verse 15, what happened? He sat down by a, a well. Now here to me is the gospel of grace in the middle of Moses' stupidity. Because here he has been running. He's made a mess up. And God has a way of stepping in to change things. Notice Patriarchs and Prophets, page 247. Yet even this rash act of killing the Egyptian was overruled by God to accomplish his purposes. Can you say amen? Moses was not prepared for his great work. He had yet to learn the same lesson of faith that Jacob had been taught, not to rely upon human strength or wisdom, but upon the power of God. And so God says, come Moses, sit down by a well. We need to talk. We need some time together. This chance, your mistake, means that you're going to spend 40 years with me. God has a way of fixing even our dumb mistakes. Can you say amen? If you've messed up and you've done some things that you know you shouldn't have done, you've operated according to fleshly procedures, God has a well for you. I, I read this uh, great quotation. I want to read it to you. Such experiences come to us all. We rush forward thinking to carry all before us. We strike a few blows in vain. And then we're staggered with disappointment and reel back. We are afraid at the first breath of human disapprobation. And we flee from the scene to hide ourselves in chagrin. And then we are hidden in the secret of God's presence from the pride of man. There our vision clears. The silt drops from the current of our life. Our self-life lies down. Our spirit drinks of the river of God, which is full of water. Our faith begins to grasp his arm to be the channel for the manifestation of his power. And thus at last, we merge to, we merge to be his hand to lead an exodus. Amen. God wants to take our decisions and turn them around. He wants to switch our universities from following our own way, the Sun University of Egypt, to the Wilderness Temple University, where God can sit you down by a well and feed your soul. Can you say amen? amen. He wants to change you to be the kind of guy who can lead a nation, the kind of person who can challenge the way society operates. And that may mean that instead of rushing ahead, you need to wait. Because what you, what you are waiting, what you become while you wait, is more important than what you are waiting for. Can you say amen? amen. God wants you to stop striving, stop doing it your own way, and simply drink from the well that he has provided. My wife was on her way out to visit me. She wasn't my wife at that point. She was my girlfriend. And she was wondering what she was doing, traveling to Africa to meet up with this strange guy on the other continent. And so as she was trying to debate what to do, she, uh, she said, Lord, I, I just want to put it in your hands. I don't want to do it my way. Have I been rushing ahead according to my own decisions? And she was really grappling with that. And so uh, she was in New York. She had to get the plane from there, and she stayed at someone's apartment and then got onto a train and subway and everything else, finally got to the airport, was running a little late, had these huge bags with her, got to the gate and couldn't find her ticket. Kept looking. Surely my ticket is here somewhere. Opened one compartment after another. Couldn't find 
her ticket anyway. And so the guy at the gate says, sorry, without the ticket, you can't get on. It's a paper ticket. It's not electronic. I can't put you on the plane. You need the paper ticket. And so she, she got down on a suitcase. She started crying. And uh, she said, Lord, maybe you don't want me to go. Maybe this is not your will for my life. Have I really handed it over to you? And so she knelt down next to her suitcase and, and, and she prayed. She said, God, I, I'm not going to do it my way. I, I, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to just rely on you. By this time, she had also called to the apartment. They couldn't find it. She wondered if it was on the train. She had looked through a suitcase. She had done everything according to the flesh, but nothing would work. So after she finished praying her prayer, after everything else, she got up and she, she felt an impression. Look in the map. She's like, I've already looked in the map. But she grabbed the map. And she threw it open, and the ticket fell out. She, she got that ticket. She ran to the counter. There was another man there who was a little friendlier. He helped her out. He got it. She, she went for the plane. She was the last person in the plane. As she walked in, they closed the door. And she sat down. She started crying again. Women cry a lot. And <laughs> but this time, it was tears of joy. Why? Because she knew that when she had handed it to God, God had given it back to her. Is there someone here who's saying, God, I just want to do it your way? Just coming down to the front. Is there someone here who says, God, I just want to do it your way? I'm tired of doing it my way. I just want to do it the way you've said we should do it. Just coming down to the front. God, I surrender it. I surrender it to you, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I, I want to sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. I want to be created in your image. I know what you want me to do in my life. I know I need to do ministry, but I realize sometimes I've been doing it my way. I just want to surrender it. God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, this morning as we've gathered at WIC, we've seen an example of somebody who tried it by the flesh. And we don't want that version of Moses. We want the second version that comes out of the wilderness prepared to lead an exodus. God, may you change this group of young people over this weekend so that they are doing things your way, according to your timing. They're waiting on you for their partner, for their career. They're waiting on you for their ministry. Father, may you bless their surrender to you. May you create in them a new heart, O Lord, after your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.